the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 8, and we'll be looking at verses 31 and 32. I'll be reading from verse 12. I'll begin at verse... Well, no, that, that would be too much. Let me begin at verse... I'll begin at verse 31. I'll read verses 31 through 36. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them. Most assuredly I say to you. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore if the son makes you free. You shall be free indeed. Amen. Amen. And as uh, we have been looking at this chapter, Jesus is having a discussion with the people. I, I, um, as I've read the chapter, I believe this is a, just one big discussion he's having with the people. It began back in uh, chapter 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, he shows up to the temple. There's a group there that he's teaching. And after the incident with the woman caught in adultery, Jesus makes this grand statement. He says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. And then beginning there, this dialogue with the people begins. In verses 13 and 20, Jesus validates his testimony. Basically, he declares to the people why they should believe him, namely, because he knows God the Father and they don't. Verses 13 through 20. And then beginning at verse 21 through verse 24, he talks to them about the necessity of believing his testimony. Verses 21 through 24, if they do not believe his word, if they do not believe whom he says he is, they will die in their sins. The necessity of believing his testimony, verses 21 through 24. Verses 25 through 27, Jesus really states the consistency of his testimony. I am who I've been telling you from the beginning. I am the Son of God. I am the ladder to heaven. I am the bread from heaven. I am the gift of God. And so many other expressions he's used throughout this gospel already. Verses 28 through 30, he, uh, he gives them the climax of his testimony. Really, the high place, the, the, the one place where they are all going to see that he says, uh, he is whom he says he is, is at the cross. It's really the climax of his testimony, verses 28 through 30. And now, what is the effect of believing his testimony? What happens when a person truly believes in Jesus? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's exactly what Jesus tells us here. And here's the effect of his testimony on a person. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We'll begin at verse 31. 
So there's a group there, even Jesus. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now that, that word Jews, it can refer to the entire Jewish people, so all the Jewish people that are there. It can refer specifically to residents of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. So some translations may even say Judeans. And it can also refer to the authorities in Jerusalem. Or sometimes it just refers to people who are hostile to him. So it can mean all of these various things. Here, of course, uh, or here, I think, it just means those Judeans that were there. There was a group there that was listening to him, and now some of them believe. Um, but the tricky thing about faith is that there can be false faith. I, I remember when I worked for a bank, they never taught us how to, they never had, gave us a class on what counterfeit money looks like. We would just count money, you know, you count money. And you traffic in real money so much that you can tell counterfeit money. They would do this every once in a while, you know, they would have you counting ones or hundreds or whatever it is, and they would slip fake bills in there. They wouldn't tell you they were in there. And you're counting and counting, and, and you're like, oh, this is fake. You feel it. It doesn't weigh, you know, it doesn't even weigh the same. You could even feel that. The color is off. The texture is off. There's something off. This isn't real money. And the same way there's fake money, there's fake faith. These that, why do I say that? Look at what they say to Jesus at the end, at, in verse 33. We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. Right. Listen as they continue now. They say to him, in verse 39, Abraham is our father. In verse 41, we were not born of fornication, we have one Father, God. That's implicitly, right? Uh, uh, maybe um, uh, purposefully stated because Jesus' mother or his father wasn't Joseph. Verse 48, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets are dead. Verse 57, you, have not even, you, you are not even 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Verse 59, they took up stones to throw at him. This faith is not real faith. That is not what Jesus is talking about. That is not what John is writing about. And John purposefully uses this language, verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, because there is an ascent. There, the, the, all the crowds are there. They're hearing what Jesus is saying. And maybe in some of their minds they're thinking, yeah, we, we, we think that what he's saying is true. It's true, these things. He is who he says he is. But what's, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? Abiding in his word. Now that word is used throughout the Gospel of John. It's used in various ways. It's even used in the epistles of John. 
I think it's, uh, but when we hear that word sometimes, we may load it with so much theological meaning or with so much personal meaning. This translation is helpful. If you continue to follow my teaching, you are my disciples. That's the point. That's what he's getting at here. If you abide in my word, if you continue to follow my teaching. And they don't continue very long, this group. Before the end of this discussion, they're going to try to stone Jesus, as we read. There is such a thing as superficial, counterfeit faith that will not get you to heaven. Consider what James says. James says, you believe that there is a God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. They're afraid. The demons believe there is a God, and you may believe that you're a God. Do you, you know what that qualifies you to be? A demon. <laughs> Believing in Jesus is much more than assenting to a set of facts. It is, it, it, it's much more than that. It's abiding. It's continuing in the teaching of Jesus no matter what it costs you. For some people, it costs, it costs some people their life. In other countries, to continue in the teaching of Jesus, to continue to follow what Jesus says, costs Christians their lives. It's cost them their life throughout all history, all of history. It's starting to cost us something here. Now, there, there's a, you know, um, we are masters at confusing things, right? So what I'm not talking, I'm not talking about uh, what I'm going to talk about here. I haven't told you yet, but, but I want to cl- make a point of clarification. I'm not talking about being a, con- a, a political conservative. It's not what I'm talking about. Not what I'm at all. But we're coming to the point in this country where it's beginning to cost you something to believe things Christians believe. To say things like, he's a boy because God made him that way. I'm not talking about making conservative talking points here. I'm talking about our uh, human identity as God has prescribed it. That's going to start costing you something. It's going to start costing you something to, uh, to believe that a man or a woman who, mu- who mutilates their bodies to look like the opposite sex is wrong. It's going to cost you. I, I think, oh, you know, Twitter is sometimes funny, sometimes heartbreaking. So, you know, I follow Oreo cookies on Twitter. And they, they posted something on Twitter this week. Trans people exist. Oreo cookies. You sell cookies. You sell cookies. What do, what do we care about trans people? I want, I want double stuffed Oreos is, is the reason we have a relationship as a company. Right? But, but, but it's, it's, it, the issue is it's so pervasive now. 
It's in your face. Not only, see, we're no longer at a point as Christians living in this society where we can just abstain from the conversation because it's, it's more than just you having to accept it. You have to rejoice in it. You have to be called, you have to be, you have to call evil good and good evil. You have to do that. If not, you know, there's, you're not making money online, right? And that's where everything is going. It doesn't have anything to do with being a conservative. It has to do with being a Christian and allowing Jesus' teaching, the teaching of God's word to define who you are if you continue to follow me. I, you know, I know, listen, some of you are teachers here. Some of the curriculum that, you know, you have to teach in sex ed and those kinds of classes, which teachers probably shouldn't be teaching their kids, are ungodly, the things you have to teach kids. And um, what do you do? Right? Do you, you know, what, what you should do is you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. And you say, I can't do that. See, that's when continuing to follow Jesus costs something. It begins to cost something. It's beginning to cost. It's going to cost us. Then you really, you are really my disciples. You know, so, so again, this has to do with a little bit of theological baggage, but people think disciples are different from Christians. You know, it's, it's a different thing. But it's not. Look, look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. You know, the term Christian was more than likely, it was used as a derogatory term, like a, like a slur word for the group of people that followed Jesus. It means something like a little, little Christ's or something like that is what it, the term means. And it was used in a derogatory way. You know, kind of like if you're, uh, you know, you like the Boston Red Sox, you might call, you know, people Yankees fans. That's a derogatory term. I don't know anything about sports, so if you're offended at that, you know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so look at Acts. Listen to, so let's not get distracted here. <laughs> uh you see, he, sa- he says, if you continue my teaching, then you are my disciple. There's this uh, teaching, it, it's gone around in the past, I don't know how popular it is now, but that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. Like a disciple is an extra step that you take when you're really committed. Well, I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, but yeah, I'm not a disciple yet because, you know, that's, you, got, you have to continue in his teaching and I'm not ready for that. I'm ready for heaven, so I believe, but I'm not committed enough to follow but look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. And when he had found him, a Barnabas, to look for uh, Saul, Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So when they were running around doing all this evangelism and planting churches and doing everything they were doing, what would they have called them 
before they called them Christians, disciples. That's what they were called first. Not Christians. Christians came later. They were disciples. They were learning followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A, a disciple is someone who is learning every day a little more, a little more about Jesus, and they follow Jesus. They follow the Lamb wherever He may go. You are, you, and and listen, uh, he, this he, listen. Jesus is such a great communicator. Jesus doesn't say, or Jesus doesn't say, if you continue in my teaching, then you will become or will be my disciple. That's not what he says. He says, you are. This is not a conditional statement. That's not the point here. That's, Jesus is not giving you a formula of how to become a Christian. He's not saying, well, just keep all the commandments. You just go to the Bible, and you just start keeping the commands, you know, and you work really hard at keeping every single command that's in this book, and then you become my disciple. When you, you know, you reach the last, the last command. That's not how it works. Listen to A.W. Pinky writes, These words of Christ supply us with a sure test. It is not how a man begins, but how he continues and ends. It is this which distinguishes the stony ground hearers from the good hearers, from the good ground hearers. To his apostles, Jesus says, he that endures to the end shall be saved. You see, this is a, this is a, a, uh, a description of what a Christian is not how you become a Christian. And this is a great, uh, um, this verse in John chapter 8, uh, this should be great motivation for you if you're not a Christian. And for those of us who are Christians, it should uh, really give us a great deal of joy because of the person we're following the privilege that we have of following Jesus. You know, if, if uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll use a sport, but I'm not, yeah. Let's say some basketball player, right? Let's say you buy a house somewhere up here in the Kerhamptons, is what they call it up here now, Kerhamptons. You buy a house in the Kerhamptons up here, and you just happen to, you know, you, when you, you're moving your stuff in, you notice there's like a full length basketball court at your neighbor's place, you know? You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I don't play, but whatever, right? And you're getting all moved in and stuff, and um, one of your kids comes and says, hey, Dad, the neighbor, you know, he's, he's outside. He says he wants to play some basketball. And you're like, all right, come on, I'll go play outside. And it's some basketball player. Pick a name. Give me a name. It's Michael Jordan. He's retired. I know that much. <laughs> Give me a name here. It's LeBron James, right? It's LeBron James. You're like, oh, wow, it's LeBron James. And LeBron James says to you, hey, uh, did you just moved in? You're like, yeah, just, just moved in. We're fresh, freshly here, you know. Uh, and he says, great. Hey, he says, hey, you know, um, I'm going to start a pickup basketball team. I want you to be on my team with me. 
<laughs> you're like, what? And he's like, yeah, and we're going to play for money, and I'm going to train you. And I, I want to train you. I, I want you to f- follow me. I'm, I'm going to teach you how to play the game. I'm going to invest time in you. What, how, what, what would you think? You would feel privileged, right? Like, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to learn how to play basketball. <laughs> go buy some basketball shoes, and I'm ready to go. I'll get tattoos and everything like the basketball players. <laughs> but this is what Jesus calls people to, to follow him. You're not following um, just any person. He calls, he's calling them here to follow the Son of God. There's a privilege to being apprenticed to Jesus, to being his, his student. There is a privilege And then also, he is distinguishing his followers from hypocrites by doing this. Because he says that there are those who are going to make professions of faith, but they will not continue in his teachings. When their lifestyle, when what they want, when what they desire conflicts with what the Bible teaches, they will not follow the Bible's teaching. They're going to do whatever they want to do. And that's evidence. Sometimes it's private evidence. And what I mean by that is that you condemn yourself a thousand times because you live uh, privately like a devil. And then you die in your sins. And then, you know, the church that you went to, since nobody really knew you, they preach you right into heaven. But here Jesus says, no, it's those who continue in my teaching. They continue in it. And you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth, he says. Back in John 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, truly, verifiably, your certified disciples. You have Jesus' stamp of approval. But... And, and you shall know the truth. As a, as, a, as a believer continues with Christ, they continue to learn about Christ. He could be talking about himself, the truth. He is the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through him. He could be speaking about the truth of his nature, who he really is, because that's what he's talking about in the context. Remember, he says to them in verse 25, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning, that's who I am. And he may be saying to this particular audience here, you will know the truth about who I am if you continue That truth will become expansive and growing. You'll know the truth about my mission. Or you'll know the truth about my gospel. Whatever it might be, uh, and and it can be all of those things. Just the truth generally is what he's saying. Augustine put it best, he says, For we believe in order that we may know. We do not know in order that we may believe. That's magnificent, right? We believe in order that we may know. Faith, we live by faith, not by sight. And as we continue to believe in Jesus, we grow in our knowledge of who he is and of his ways. 
Jesus bestows this gift upon his people, an increasing knowledge of who he is. And some of us, you know, we're sitting here today and our hearts are, uh, they're not touched by these things because you don't know him. The more you know him, the more you're filled with his truth, the greater he becomes. You will know the truth. You will know the truth about Jesus. You will know the truth about the gospel. You will know the truth about who you are. You will know the truth about God. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Literally, the truth will release you. The truth will release you. This word conveys the idea that the hearers were currently in bondage and slavery, and they needed to be freed from it. And that is the way that man lives apart from God and Christ, in bondage to sin and unrighteousness. And, um, and, and you have stock, Stockholm's disease, I think that's what it's called, right? You ever heard of, the, you know what Stockholm's disease is? Is when a person sort of is, is, is captive to somebody or oppressed by a person and they defend that person. That's how unbelievers live. And you come with them with gospel truth, you know, to, to open the word of God to them, and you're attacking me, and you're attacking my, my captor, the devil. Why would, you, why, why would you do that? That is the way that the unbeliever lives his life, because he's a slave. He's a slave to sin and unrighteousness. And what coming to Jesus would do would, coming to Jesus would draw him out of that captivity and it's painful for the unbeliever because they love darkness. They do not want to come to the light lest their deeds might be exposed and then they have to repent of them. And, and one of the things that, that keeps people ultimately, I believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation so that the Holy Spirit grants life to whom he will. But man is still responsible. But one of the things that keeps people from coming to the truth is their personal shame. Like if I become a Christian, right, I have to like repent of the way that I'm living. And I don't want people to know that I live this way. And that keeps them from coming to Christ. This is not philosophical truth. It's not just intellectual truth. It's not political truth. It's truth about a person, about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And rightly understood, the person and work of Jesus Christ condemns us. There's, there's this condemning aspect. It saves, absolutely, but it condemns us because we have to look to another to be right with God. The Bible is full of examples like this. I'll give you one and we'll close. Now listen to the words of Psalm 107, beginning at verse 10. Psalm 107. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death Bound in affliction and irons. That's the way the Bible paints the unbeliever. The unbeliever thinks he's free. She's free. I do what I want. I go where I want to go. Spend my money however I want. Spend my time. I do whatever I want. 
the Bible says, and you know nothing about freedom. You are, you are a slave, you know? Look, if, if, if the people that impress you, right? If the people that impress you started wearing their underwears on their heads, you'd be doing it tomorrow. You would. You're a slave. You're a slave to, to that, right? Whatever it is, right? And, and for whatever it is, you would do it. You, you would automatically do it. Why? Because you're a slave. So, and, uh, so to, to have your sin, to have those sinful pleasures, you would do whatever. You would, you would uh, break marriage covenants. You would disgrace uh, your father and your mother. You would risk losing your job and your reputation. Why? Because you're a slave. That's not freedom. It's not because you're free. You see, a free person is able to live in subjection to God. Look at this. So, bound in affliction and irons. Why? Because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. If you want to live free, take heed to the words of God and the counsels of the Most High. Therefore, he brought them down, brought down their heart with labor, they fell down, and there was none to help. That's what happens, right? They're captive. Their heart, even their hearts are bound. Their labor, it's hard. Physical work, they, they have no power. Strength that they once had is gone. The intellect, right? And over time, this is what happens to the sinner. Like the more you sin, the more bound you become. Right? You become this very narrow person who's not free because you've got to give yourself to your vices, Therefore, he brought them down and brought down their hearts with labor. If you feel that way, you know, that's a good. If you feel that way, like if you're sitting here today and you're, you're thinking to yourself, <clears throat> I'm never going to tell this guy that what he's saying is applying to me. But boy, I do feel like that. Listen to verse 13. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. Why? Because he delights in it. He loves that. He loves to save sinners. When people are in wretched, destitute conditions, and they cry out to the Lord, and they cry out to him to save them, he's the one that's applying that pressure, that saving pressure that calls out, Lord, save me. He saved them out of their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadows of death and broke their chains in pieces. And that is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you continue in my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those gospel truths, you'll see the way that you live is a life of bondage and sin and unrighteousness. And you'll think to yourself, man, I do not want to live like this anymore. I want to be free. And there's no freer man than a Christian man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time in your word. We ask that you would please bless the preaching of the word. Bless these words of Christ to our soul. May we abide in his word. May we truly be his disciples. Teach us the truth, Lord, and make us free.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.